Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to A Little Better. This is Aaron Hickson. I'm the Henrietta Campus Pastor. We're so glad that you have joined in, whether you're watching or listening. Thanks for jumping in on the podcast this week. And we have a special guest, our communicator from this past weekend, excited to be welcoming Graham Spruill to A Little Better. So, Graham, what's up, my man? I'm pumped to be here. I am an avid listener to A Little Better. <laughs> This is a, this is an honor. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited to hear that. I think you might be the first person that's a guest on this podcast who actually listens. <laughs> Dude, straight up Tuesday mornings, baby. We turn that thing on and I crush through it. I love it. Seriously, this is an awesome podcast. Oh, uh, you're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, the person who actually makes it good, his name is Drew. He's not on this particular episode because, thank you. Good, good reminder. He is the one. Um, but he's not on this particular episode because I'm realizing throughout this series, we're, we, we're going to be obviously interviewing whoever speaks over the weekend. And um, we keep messing with the schedule. I, I've basically been arranging it with whoever's speaking and just saying like, we'll make it work for your schedule, like whatever, if you're going to be in and out of the office and with, especially with us still not even being together in the office, um, yeah. it's been all over the place. And so I keep basically putting it at times where she is not available. So that's on me. All of our listeners are like, please get Drew back on this thing. So something worthwhile will be said. <laughs> but <laughs> nah, dude, uh, we love you. We love you. Oh, uh, thanks. You're very kind. But hey, let's jump in and talk right now. This is, if Mark Nelson were here and if Dave Bame were here, bro, wow. then we could have a four generations of NYM mm. leadership on the same cast. That truly is amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but that, sometimes we got to have that and just like tell stories of people who are now small group leaders who like went through, because we've got generations of that going on between Dude, Dave, Mark, I'm, and I'm telling you that that is, we need to just listen. We need to have a podcast with Dave Bain and just call it stories and just allow him <laughs> to share stories. Maybe get Brian Murphy up here. They can just share yeah. some <laughs> ministry classics. I love it. Get who else would be some classics? Some Dave Nitch, some people from from another era of youth ministry. That'd be Dude, awesome. Yeah, still around. But anyway, um, yeah. So with student ministry, tell me, uh, yeah, if you if you don't know Graham, he oversees student ministry for middle school and high school at NYM with a great team. And um, what's been, you know, COVID has of course thrown a wrench into everything NYM. What's been um, you know, what have you been encouraged by during this season, even though it's not at all, like you, you haven't had camps, some things that are kind of like clutch NYM times are not normal. This yeah. year. So what's been, what's been going well, just so that we don't get too depressed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It definitely has been a um, kind of 180 for like, as it's been for everybody else. I think as we've looked at what we've been encouraged by, one of the things that we, we tracked over the course of our um, COVID season from March when, when the social distancing started to the end of our program year, which was, uh, you know, first week of June, we tracked how many students were jumping on Zoom with their small groups. And we tracked that compared to how many students we had physically uh, present a year ago. And we were on average over the, I think it was 12 weeks, we were at about 86% capacity from an online we were at. <laughs> You know, last year physically. So we were very encouraged by that. Now, 
those numbers definitely as, as all of us were getting, you know, tired of zoom and tired of like, maybe I got to smile a lot more than I want to on this. Uh, <laughs> That's so um, true. I've never thought. Dude, I'm that. telling you. That's and so, so students true. were feeling that and we, we, we definitely saw kind of those numbers uh, dip a little bit, but as we, as we looked at, at o- over the course of those 12 weeks, the average being over 80%, that was encouraging for us, even though, you know, the last pride month or so was really, really tough on everybody for sure. But yeah. we were encouraging. But dude, that's unreal. I mean, I don't, I don't know what I would have been expecting, but I go, I don't think I would have expected anything that even came close to normal. If, if you were asked, if you were just like streaming a service or whatever, I like, you know, our Sunday morning thing, I could think you maybe would expect it to be the same or even bigger, you know, depending on, cause you're just, you know, passively logging on, but something that requires like active engagement, like I have to talk, I have to click a link and talk to people sure. and whatever. I would expect that to be way lower. So that's amazing. Praise the Lord. And I'm glad you guys yeah. were leading out in that and being creative. I know you got the right brains focused on that, the right brains and the right hearts <laughs> focused on students. So, <laughs> and then obviously you guys are thinking multi-site right now with 780 Salt Road to the Webster campus rolling with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, as, as we've been in this whole gaining ground journey as a church, just figuring out like, man, what does this mean for seeing, you know, more, more and better from a student ministry standpoint and having this building um, and really asking the stewardship question of, all right, God, here's an opportunity. How do we steward um, what, what you're doing in our church and come alongside this gaining ground um, season of our church. And so for us as a team, it's kind of been a year and a half in the making of, you know, praying, strategizing, planning. Uh, but our goal and our, our desire is launching a multi-site youth ministry. We originally were kind of aiming for uh, the fall, and but we're just kind of trying to pray and do that wisely as we want to launch strong, uh, recognizing that COVID has you know, shot all of us in, in when it comes to momentum and all of those things. And so just trying to be wise with that. But that's our plans is this year we want to launch a, a multi-site ministry. So have two uh, locations on a Wednesday night, 630 to 830. And so we're super excited about that. Still a lot to figure out, but excited to see God move in and through that. I love it, man. I, I can remember in the fall of 2013, when I came here, the Greece campus was a year old and we were launching, we were a year out from launching Webster, but we were talking about it. And I was tasked with think through making youth ministry multi-site in the fall of 2013. And let me show you a precise wow. calculation of how much progress I made on that. <laughs> if you're not watching, you can't tell, but I'm making a big fat zero <laughs> from the four years I was involved <laughs> in it. We made zero progress. So thank you for grabbing that mantle of leadership and a huge task of doing something that our church has never done really at all, which is multi-site youth ministry. So hard work, lots of vision, uh, proud of you guys and excited for Connell, you know, as he's uh, Connell Christensen, uh, kicking off leading everything there in Webster. So that's cool. For sure. Um, as for your talk on Sunday, let's get to that a little bit. Um, you, one thing that definitely stood out to me is, man, we're talking about some oil. What in the world? <laughs> True. Sometimes the Bible. We talking so myrrh, frankincense, <laughs> frankincense. <laughs> some oh, tea tree oil. Tea tree oil got to be What's extract, good. pure extract of tea tree oil. Oh yes. my Rub some of that yeah, on your. So, tongue. but yeah, tell me what's the deal. What what does that mean? What I'm sure you did not have sufficient time at all to go into that in the way you wanted to. So, hit me. What what do we need to know? Yeah. So there's almost like, um, there's probably two main categories of what people think about this. And I'm sure there's a nuance and blend 
of all of them as there normally is with, you know, speculative issues. But you've kind of got people who think uh, the oil is functioning more in a practical sense. Uh, so think literally medicine. I mean, oil was used as medicine in the first century. If you think about the, the story of the Good Samaritan, um, the, mm. the person kind of binding up the wounds and, and putting oil on the wounds and so there's the medicinal function of it. Um, and then there's also almost like an example function. Basically, the, the argument, I think, goes, I'm trying to represent it well, basically that oil could be used to stir and stimulate the faith of the person receiving it, almost as Jesus picked up the, the mud and rubbed it into the eyes of the person as he was healing him to show an action of, you know, have faith, strengthen, you know, strengthen your faith. So there's the uh, practical side of things. And then there's a more religious side of things. And underneath that camp, you've kind of got uh, like sacramental, which would be mainly like if somebody's dying, you know, providing that, that oil from a, from a pastor or a priest to pray over that person to strengthen their faith as they're getting ready to die. And then there's like a consecrational side of the religious realm of what we're talking about. And consecration. Wow, we're, we're on, we're on point two sub point B right now. I'm following. Straight I'm up, dude. Straight <laughs> up. Um, but basically it's like, um, if you think about the old Testament prophets, priests, Kings were anointed with oil. So as to say this person, or even this temple or this place is set apart uh, to be used by God. And I really think it could be like, obviously I'm sure you could get somebody else up on this podcast and they would have a different, you know, opinion and it'd be a great discussion, but I would fall more so on the lines of, it being consecrational in focus. Um, so a symbolic anointing of oil to say, God, this is, you know, we're setting this person apart or we're praying for them that you would move and, and heal. But at the same time, I'm not negating that it couldn't help physically. Oil is not going to hurt somebody. Uh, <laughs> sure. You know, it could only help. I, I just think, you know, mainly the, the main focus would be that more symbolic or consecrational focus. So yeah, like I said, I'm not the only opinion, but uh, Doug Moo wrote an incredible commentary on James. If you guys want to check that out, that's a, that's a good resource. That's really, I'm not that smart. I just basically quoted Doug Moo. So <laughs> you can go read well, Doug and see what he says. You're smart enough to go to resources. Um, Douglas Moo is a classic New Testament scholar. If, if anyone's familiar with the literature in that sense, they, that name would come up as a classic conservative voice um, in New Testament scholarship. So um, Douglas literally Moo, as in a cow. Moo. Yes. And <laughs> I don't know why I, I always, straight up said Doug. Like, yeah, Dougie, my friend. Yeah, my friend My boy Doug. Dougie. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Douglas, Dr. Moo, probably. <laughs> I do. I just feel so bad for the man. Like, I just can't imagine when they conferred his doctorate and like, now let me present to you. Yes. Dr. Douglas Moo. Dude, if I was his son, I'd be like, Moo, you know, that's, <laughs> we got, we got posters in the. Oh, it's like, it's like Cruz. What, who's the, the receiver Cruz when he makes a, you know, a touchdown catch or whatever, they would always like, they'll yell like Cruz. It sounds like yes. they're Anyway, same with Mookie Betts for the Red Sox. They'll say like Mook. But by the way, he's for their Dodgers, so I don't like him anymore. Dude, you're deep, so deep sad. Deep wounds. Deep wounds. Uh, by the way, if you could come, oh. like, put some oil on my heart and pray for me. <laughs> I got you, dude, but it'll be consecrational, potentially med medicinal. <laughs> <laughs> good luck getting the oil all the way into my heart. By the way. <laughs> that seems like it'd get dangerous. But, um, yeah, and by the way, we're, all of this we're referencing in James chapter 5. Um, got it here. 
James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Um, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And, you know, there's lots of, as you said, that is a just a total nightmare of traffic <laughs> in terms of exegetical consequence. And um, so anyway, there, there's lots to read there, but I love your take. Thanks for giving us that and all the, the background on it. Um, again, people can check out uh, Doug Moo and see what he has to say on it and others as well. Um, but where we got to your passage really in what you were trying to get at was verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And um, I, you know, I love this. I'm, I'm looking here at some of your notes. You talked about how confession postures us for spiritual growth. And you made, you made one point that I thought was really interesting. I would not have thought the counterpoint of confession to be deception. I would have, you know, instinctually I would have thought it's, um, hypocrisy or lying or, you know, whatever. Talk to me about why you went with deception as kind of like the counterweight point to confession. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think part of it is recognizing, as I've mentioned a little bit in the, in the message, like recognizing there's, there's always a spiritual battle at play. And when we actually look, you know, in the new Testament and, and see, okay, well, what are the tactics, you know, of our enemy? If we're studying an enemy for, you know, war and, and what are, figuring out what are the tactics of our enemy? There is this theme of deception and this theme of, um, yeah, if you think, I think it's in first Corinthians, like Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Like, so, so we recognize pre-Christ, uh, we are in a state of blindedness. And so when we come to know Jesus, as he uh, shines the light of the gospel on our hearts, um, our eyes are open to who God is really for the first time. And that is that then turns into a process of what's called sanctification or, or God setting us apart every single day where we're recognizing, man, I'm still blind in that area. God's got to shine the light of the gospel and the, you know, how I use my mouth, how I um, think about my coworkers, like these areas that God is shining the light on that, that really is, is just a process of coming out of that deception. Um, whereas Jeremiah, you know, we, we talked about Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all mm. things. And so uh, sanctification really is the process of coming out of that and living in the light. And one of the practical ways that we do that is through confession. So that's kind of the idea behind that. So confession undoes the deception that is layered like an onion in our hearts. Like we, we got to sure. peel back all this layers of deception, let light penetrate and light comes in the light of the gospel, the light of truth, the light of forgiveness and freedom. You yeah. even talked about how the perk here is that when you confess, you find spiritual freedom, right? So like that freedom comes to our bondage or our darkness or our deception, all different ways to say the same thing yeah. as we verbalize our sin, which is kind of... Honestly, it's a little bit of an interesting thing. Like why, what about verbalizing stuff we've done wrong? Like what about that would be healing? It, it, that seems kind of strange, especially since you talk about how we need to confess everything in prayer, confess some things in person. Like why, why do we, how do I want to say this? If God knows our sin, he knows it before we did it. And he knows that we did it after we did it. Why do we have to tell him about it? And if we have to tell him about it, why do we have to tell anybody else about it? And how do we figure out which one is which? What value does it have? Haven't we already been forgiven in yeah. Christ? I feel like there's a lot there that yeah. we can talk about. 
Yeah, I think that's those are some uh, loaded questions, brother. Aaron. Um, <laughs> I, I would say um, when it comes to just, I mean, the the you know kind of annoying churchy answer is both of them are commanded in scripture. So you know, mm. the whole book of First John. We did a study of First John. I think it was I don't know last year or something. Called last summer, I think. Yeah. If you haven't watched, it's an amazing series where our our couple of our teaching, couple people from our teaching team walk through first John. And it's really all about like living in the light, like being showing that you are a child of God. And a part of that is man, confessing your sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And so there's that uh, command to vertically confess. And as well as we see just in the old Testament, if you look at the book of Psalms, there's Psalm 51, Psalm 32, what we read a little bit at the end of our, of our message is uh, these prayers these intimate moments of be it King David or some other psalmist saying, God, I messed up, Lord, forgive me. And so there's this, this uh, example as well as um, command to confess our sins to God. But when it comes to confessing to people, I think that that's where, like I said on Sunday, it's, it's almost you have to be discerning. Um, but some of the ways in which when we need to confess, I think, are when we hurt people, when we, um, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, when someone is offended uh, by something that we've done to them, it's important to make that right, uh, because that is directly connected to our relationship with God, which was you mm-hmm. know, what Bob speaks of, hey, make a thing right with, with your uh, brother or sister before you even offer your gift at the altar, i.e. before you sing, uh, oh, praise the name of Jesus, like, man, I've got to make things right with, with Jess, you know, with my wife. Mm. And so um, making sure that, that relationally I'm good so that vertically I can be good as well. And then it's also, you know, commanded in James 5, 16, that's, that is the one another command from Paul. I was inspired by God. And so we know that it's helpful and that it is um you know, something that, that allows us to, to live in the light as Paul talks about in Ephesians Mm. five. I don't remember. That's so good and helpful. Um, that might sound like a church answer to say, because it's commanded, but it's right. And we can trust in God's sovereignty that if he commands both, that both are good for our good and for his glory. And so I feel like that's, you know, that's a good enough answer. But I think too, experientially or anecdotally, I think we can all attest to times when, quote, getting it off your chest, you know, the catharsis that comes from just yeah. like I said it, you know, whatever it is, even if it's not confession, this is true of like, yes, even excitement in our lives, like excitement that you want to share that you can't is really hard. Like there's a like, I just want to say it. Um, yes. That's that same thing can be true when it comes to sin. Like, times when we're burdened by the Holy spirit, when we're convicted, I know, um, I dread going to community groups sometimes, but I got something I got to talk about there. Like it's no good. But at the same time, I know that I'm better for it when I've spoken out loud, the things that I've done. And I love, you know, we both talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer before we both, uh, read Eric McTaxis's what feels like enormous (laughs) biography on Bonhoeffer. Um, but anyway, his book life together is one if you haven't read, we'd, I, I, you know, I would say that Graham and I would both recommend you read life together, but there's a section there about confession. That's, I just read that book for the first time a few, like a month ago. And it was very compelling to me. One of the quotes is basically he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. 
And I just think that he has like this super winsome and powerful description of confession in your everyday life and its power. And most of the reason that you and I wouldn't confess is because we're embarrassed, right? We don't want people Mm -hmm. to know. We don't want it. We don't want consequences, which we, you know, we can talk about consequences here in a second, but we're just embarrassed. We don't want people to know about it. But his whole point is like, no, no, if you understand grace and you're living in a true grace saturated community, then there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like For sure. you're standing before God was always of grace. You're standing with these people is always of grace. The expectation is that you're sinning and the expectation is that you need God's grace and that you are living in obedience to commands, which is that you'd be confessing. So like, if you're not confessing your sin, it's more concerning than if you are saying that you did this or that thing that's not pleasing to God. Like the yeah. expectation in a grace-filled community is that you would be hearing sins and having your brothers and sisters in Christ return right back to you the truth of God's grace and structures to help you go and sin no more. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. twofold approach. Uh, and I would even, even kind of adding to that, I think like when we don't, when we confess vertically kind of in our head, which is amazing, right? We see in the Psalms, as, as you just talked about, it's commanded. We can confess to God. What a glorious truth. Um, I think in some ways, if we just leave it there for some of the things that maybe we should confess to somebody else, if we just leave it with vertical confession, I think we're actually giving the enemy a foothold to continue to heap accusatory thoughts um, about, man, but I still feel in bondage to this. Man, like uh, I still feel like I'm I'm gross because of that. Because we're just in our head, right? We're just mm-hmm. in and feeling like I can't get can't get that out of, out of my head. We haven't heard God, you know, physically come to us and say, you are forgiven. You are set free. That's why the local church exists because they are the physical representation of the body and, and, uh, of the body of Christ. And, and our brothers and sisters are able to come around us when we've got accusatory thoughts in our head that we don't even know what to believe because it sounds like us. When we put those out in the light, somebody's able to say, bro, you need to check that because you're actually forgiven, you're loved, you're justified. And our brothers and sisters in Christ can be the mouthpiece of the truth that we intellectually know. But man, when we hear that from brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a game changer. It brings about a, a healing, a sense of, you know, kind of spiritual freedom. And I love, uh, you know, that is so, wow, you know, profoundly true. And your point states it well from the message that justification changes your position. That's the truth of what we know intellectually, but confession reminds you of your acceptance. That's the like, oh yeah, grace. You know what I mean? Like, and I think we all need that so regularly. Um, Obviously that does not take away um, consequences. Like as we confess our sin, that's not to say like, I thought you were going to give me grace, which means even though I did this thing that definitely has repercussions or like, I shouldn't be allowed to go to this place anymore. Whatever the consequences are going to be for our sins, yeah. we should not expect that those who love us most are going to become enablers just because they give us grace. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. It means yeah. acceptance. Like you're loved, you're accepted by me, you're loved and accepted by God. That doesn't mean I approve of your actions. And in fact, I love you enough and I believe in the power of God's grace enough that I don't ever want to see you confess that again. Like I yeah. want to see you come to a place where yes. that's, you know, where you don't have that weakness, that callousness, that deception, or that blind spot, which is I something I feel like, you know, you talked about some, and I think that there's more to explore about, like, we all have blind spots, and confession is one of the ways that we're not hardened by sin's deceitfulness, and we 
we don't maintain these massive blind spots that other people can see really well. For sure. And I think, you know, you can always look back at history and we uh, being, you know, where we sit right now on the chronological timeline, it's easy to look back and be like, wow, they are really dumb for doing. (laughs) How could you profess Christ and do X? Um, I think that's the moment where we got to stop ourselves and say, Lord, what's in my heart still that could cause somebody to look back at me 50 years from now and say, wow, how could you not see that? How could you not see that unhealthy habit of X? It's through confession, through an open community of faith that we're dialoguing and able to say, hey, this doesn't add up. Help, help me understand. And, and we're able to come, come forward and, um, yeah, confess those things. Yeah. Which, by the way, since you went there, we can go into specifics a little bit. I feel like let's not talk about like Jim Crow era South in America. Let's let's skip over that and go to a more maybe neutral time. And let's talk yeah. about yeah. like, you know, heroes of the faith, names like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, yeah. people who get, you know, lots of accolades as they should. God, people that God used in amazing ways for great awakenings in the United States. Yeah. Yet both of those, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, uh, were slave owners. And yeah. not only was Whitfield a slave owner, he lobbied for the legalization yeah. of the slave trade in yeah. Georgia to fund his orphanage. So like, yeah. wow, we, we look back on that and say like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. what were you thinking? And I think what's amazing about confession, speaking to your point, is we can have blind spots culturally where like our culture as a whole in a time period is not, is not confessing its sins collectively or exposing itself to the mirror of other cultures. Like, so for instance, there, it's not that no one during George Whitfield's time thought that slavery was wrong. He just didn't allow his cultural views to be exposed to the truth that other people had in other parts of the world. And even in America, John Wesley, exactly. (laughs) His friend kind of, (laughs) yeah, he didn't allow that to be now that's not confession, right? That's a little bit of accountability, but that same idea, like he had a blind yeah. spot culturally that his church tradition held dearly to that he didn't allow other church traditions to speak in and give honesty. Yes. So he allowed a cultural blind spot to exist at a macro level. But then at an individual level, that same thing can happen when we confess our blind spots become obvious to us. And if we're open to confrontation and confession, then those blind spots in our own individual lives won't cons- continue either. Yep. Dude, spot on, man. Couldn't say it better. hundred percent. Yeah, I don't, well, I, I'm sure it could have been said better, but I just think that blind spot thing is so interesting. You're right. We don't get to, it's so easy to judge people from other eras. And frankly, I think that there's some wisdom in it. We need to call a spade a spade. Don't give Jonathan Edwards a pass yeah. just because he was 100%. an intellectual giant. Like just because he's America's foremost Christian intellectual doesn't mean he gets off the hook, right? But at the same time, we need to recognize other generations will look back at us and say, you've got to be kidding me, which is why I think generationally we can utilize confession in the mirror of truth by saying what is true inside of our church tradition that needs, let's say, sub-Saharan Africa Christians. You know what I mean? They have a mirror that they could hold up to our, or even, you know, mainland China. Man, what a mirror mainland China holds up to mainland, I mean, you know, Protestant, even white evangelicalism in America. You know what I mean? How yeah. embarrassing their passion for Christ that when that's held up to us, we ought to say, I confess for my materialism. I confess yeah. for my idolatry of, 
you know, convenience, whatever. Um, and yeah. my consumeristic mindset about church, I don't know why I'm getting hype about this right now, but Dude, <laughs> no, it's, you, you see it in, yeah. yeah, go. You see it in every generation. Even as we're, we were talking about Bonhoeffer earlier, I mean, part of Bonhoeffer was that, um, anti-cultural voice to say, Hey, what we're calling the church is not really the church. You know, yeah. I mean? you guys are actually, uh, complicit in a man who's going to come to power and wreck your life. And so then you had the, you know, German church, confessional church. And so even in that, there's like these schisms of, of we've got to listen to those voices that we might automatically be like, nah, but it's like, man, well, what are they saying right now? Because we don't want to find ourselves on the wrong side of history. And that involves those deep uh, kind of heart cutting questions that, make us say, Lord, search my heart and have people say, you know, talking to us and saying, Hey, here's what I'm seeing. It's, it's so, so important. And whether it's a stripe of Christianity that brings to our tribe, a complaint, I think we ought to, we ought to be able to say, wow, before I reject that, is there a blind spot that I've been hardened by sin's deceitfulness, that confession could soften my heart to the possibility that I'm wrong. That's true in a stripe of Christianity. And it's also true inside of relationships. If my wife comes to me with a thought about how I could change before I reject it, I need to be say, how might I be hardened by sin's deceitfulness? And I'm now living in a scheme of the enemy and confession, hearing the truth of what she's saying and allowing that to bring me to a place of repentance and confession could allow me to move on beyond a blind spot that I would have never known had she not had the courage to tell me. And I think that's true of, you know, whatever, evangelicalism in America today and individually where blind spots and deception are the opposite of confession. And until we're willing to hear others and then confess of that sin, we'll never change. I love it. I agree. Oh, that was a lot. Okay. Um, I talked way too much and this podcast is supposed to feature you. So my bad. No, dude. It's so good, man. I love bouncing off. It's awesome. So, Hey, um, wow. I forgot this is a video podcast. My hair just went crazy. Um, (laughs) next week we've got, it goes you and then Matt Snyder is coming in and actually I love what he's going to be talking about. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell me the counterpoint there a little bit? Yeah. So initially we chose these things, you know, me and Matt kind of connected and like, dude, are we going to step on each other's toes through this? Because we're kind of, you could really get into the same thing. Basically uh, I went to James five sixteen. therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Um, and Matt went Galatians six. I don't know the precise verse, but basically like bear one another's burdens, basically burdens. And that's in the context of man, when somebody confesses to you. So this week uh, or this past week, we talked about when I have sin and I need to bring that into the light and find spiritual freedom. When it comes to me confessing, here's what that looks like. And here's the command in scripture. Uh, Matt is going to really dive into, okay, let's say I just got confessed to man. That can be overwhelming. That can be like, what's my role in this? And what do I say precisely? What do I not say? How do I not change my facial expression? So somebody gets, you know, hurt at how I'm responding, you know, just all those questions. And Matt's really going to dive into what does it look like to biblically walk with somebody as they've confessed their sin to us, but do so in a way that um, keeps our spiritual accountability, spiritual health intact and kind of a a pulse on that. So I think it's going to partner up really well. All of these, these messages have seemed to really build on one another, starting with that week one of uh, loving and serving one another in John 13. So I think it's going to be awesome and I'm excited to hear Matt break it down. Great. So Matt Snyder's next and we hope that everybody's, you know, looking forward to hearing from him and continuing in this series. 
And of course, looking forward to August the 9th when we hope to be able to gather together again in person for those who are able to and feel comfortable doing so. Looking forward to having that chance. Um, and we, we've loved connecting with churches in the area that are already reopening, learning from them and how they're complying with state guidelines as we want to do the same. The church in Rochester is on the move as it has been, and God continues to build it. So thanks, Graham, for jumping on. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week.